and welcome to No Direction, your number one source for Pathfinder news reviews and interviews. I'm Esther Wallace. And I'm Navar Sikh Jackson. And today... We, hang on, you just oh. threw last name in there and then I, I went along with it, but it also threw me off because I don't know if we've ever done that before. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. You're perfectly fine. This is going to stay in. It's just a funny <laughs> thing that happened. It is a funny thing that happened. Today, we have a guest we are so excited to be talking with, Shay Snow, who is a developer for the Pathfinder Society and an author for Paizo in addition to that role. Shay, welcome to No Direction. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm glad to have you on. Yeah. So one question we like to ask folks is to start just like, how did you get into Pathfinder? What's your Pathfinder origin story? (laughs) Okay. So. This is incredibly convoluted and you have to bear with me. Yes. So in, gosh, 2014, that's how far back this goes. In Mm -hmm. 2014, I was working at the L'Oreal Call Center doing customer service. And I was supposed to go to a party for ball-jointed dolls, which are a collectible thing. Um, And I was almost extremely late to that party because there was a terrible accident on the train line, which nobody got hurt. Thankfully, it was just a horrible thing and traffic was terrible. So I wound up taking like an Uber out. And the first two people that I met outside of the house where I was meeting my spouse and my friends were two friends of mine named Sid and Chris. Well, they weren't friends of mine yet, but, you know, I had met them there and they were like, oh, my gosh, we heard there was an accident. Are you okay? Is everything all right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. There's no problem. And we sat down, we started talking and hanging out and making jokes. And then two years later, uh, Sid and I both wind up working at the same call center. And she's like, hey, you and your spouse seem really cool. Do you want to come over and learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons? And I was like, sure, I've never played this game before. And we showed up and they went, and I'm like, great, I'm so excited to play Dungeons and Dragons. I just... (laughs) I just spent a hundred dollars at the game store buying the player's guide and I believe I also bought the the dungeon master's guide and they went oh well actually we're not playing dungeons and dragons we're playing pathfinder and I'm like okay great I spent a hundred dollars on two books and they were like we're so sorry (laughs) they're like but we're playing Pathfinder. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm sure those will be very useful to you. Spoilers, they were not. <laughs> so that's how I got into Pathfinder. Was they, nice. they tricked me and I spent all my money and then I showed up and they were like, here, try this game anyway. You can play a witch. And I went, I'm sorry, what? I can play a huh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Sure. I accept. Better. Awesome. I hope you got Amazing. your refund, first of all. <laughs> uh yeah actually i went back to that game store and i'm like so my friends actually aren't playing dungeons and dragons they're playing pathfinder and the guy was like oh great yeah we'll just exchange your books for oh pathfinder that's so books. nice yeah <laughs> so i got the first edition core rule book and i got the i got the advanced players guide and stuff like that so awesome yeah. i mean i think the witch is such a great first class to play <sighs> i love the witch yeah. Um, and that just started my long history of now when I play tabletop games, the first class that I'll generally pick up in a new game is always a caster. Mm-hmm. And people are like, you know, if you picked up things like fighters or something like that, it might be a little bit easier for you to learn systems. And I'm like, no, I want to cast spells. I need to be delicate and have only a certain amount of things I can do per day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What was your first familiar? 
I had a black cat with a single big eye in the middle of its face. Mm. Uh, his name was Jonesy. And the way he, because he would speak, because I always made him do the, um, having the speech ability and everything like that. I don't remember what it is in first edition. But the way it Tongues, would happen is he would open his eye and there would be a mouth in the middle of the eye. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and that's how he learned new spells. <laughs> By eating the scrolls. scrolls <laughs> with, his <eye. laughs> with his eye. And we referred to them as kitty num nums. <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. Uh-huh. This is this is epic. This is an <laughs> epic origin story. He died twice and each both times he died, which you know you had to do like the ritual and everything to bring it back and stuff. Both times I would roll a dice. Uh the first time I rolled a d4 and the second time I rolled a d12 and the first time he came back with three eyes and the second time he came back with just one eye again. <laughs> so <laughs> That's fun. That's a fun way to do it. A witch is a class like I've had. I've ran a game for my friend who played a witch and I loved it. And I really want to play a witch and I'm playing Strength of Thousands and I'm a sorcerer. But as a knoll, you can have a hyena familiar. And so (laughs) I kind of feel a little bit. It feels a little bit witchy. So because my hyena, she has I usually let her have the fly ability. So she just has like these furry little wings. And it's very cute. That's so cute. Yeah. I'm I'm running a mummy's mask game right now and my spouse is playing it's converted to second edition. And my spouse is currently playing an ant knoll uh mm. fighter mm-hmm. with power attack and everything. And every time they land a critical hit, they're like bark bark at the enemy. <laughs> And they befriended a hyena from a previous fight and her name is Sparkles and she wanders around with a like uh bedazzled collar now. Nice. <laughs> That's this is amazing. Yeah. I've got to become a player in a campaign again. Yes. Like this is just making me be like I've got to I've got to play a caster. I've got to yeah. have a familiar. Listen, yeah. I love having familiars. They add so much intru- they add so much flavor in the games. I'm in War for the Crown right now and I have a wizard who's an evocation wizard who does not think before she does things because she's very intelligent she's very impulsive Mm -hmm. um and her familiar is an extremely fluffy white cat who wears a blue silk collar with a little bell on it and her name is lady fluffington the 12th of the talden cavalry and she acts extremely snooty on the flip side of that my character is married to another player's character in the game and he has an extremely large black dog who is his animal companion and lady hates this dog the dog's <laughs> name is monster and it's just it's so funny and then i was briefly in an outlaws falcon star game and i played a gunslinger witch and her familiar nice. was an armadillo named emil Sweet. So, <laughs> yeah that's so fun yeah, I do. I really love to like in Pathfinder 2e that there's more options for you for players to have a familiar than just having mm-hmm. either a wizard or a witch. Yeah, because uh, I didn't have to be a spell. I could have been a fighter who took that feat and had a little hyena familiar just as an ancestry feat. So yeah, I really love that. I think that's a lot of fun. Did, <laughs> so I mean, you you started back then and yeah. then kept playing. When did you get like introduced to? to paizo and like did you were you an early adopter of second edition yeah actually i started at the very tail end of first edition i didn't even know second edition had been announced that and my gm at the time he was like hey they've got second edition dropping i have the playtest playbook why don't we start converting our mummy's mask game into 
mm. second edition with what the information I have. And I'm like, sounds good to me. It doesn't matter to me which way I'm throwing dice. And they were like, great. So I basically, as soon as second edition dropped, I started out the gate playing second edition. Like yeah. literally as soon as I could, I wound up buying the second edition core rulebook. Mm-hmm. I still have it. It is over there on my desk. It currently holds up my monitor for work. <laughs> it's okay. There's a new one coming out. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a newer one up on my shelf. I have so many coral books, let me yeah. tell you. But yeah, so the, I dropped right into second edition immediately. And in about 2020 was about when I started kind of reaching out to people who work at Paizo and other freelancers and stuff like that. And gosh, who was it? Jason Tondra, when he still worked at Paizo, he retweeted a call from Liz Liddell about an open call of like, hey, we would like to get, you know, a more diverse author cast for a hardcover coming up. Reach out to us. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try. And Liz Liddell reached out and was and they were like, hey, you know, have you written? You know, have you played? Like, I've been playing Pathfinder Second Edition since it dropped. Uh, I briefly played first edition before that. That's all of the tabletop experience I have. However, I did write my own homebrew adventure. Here's 34 pages of homebrew content. Yeah. Which don't don't do that. <laughs> <People> <laughs> like three pages, five pages. I sent her the whole document. I sent her NPC stat blocks and animal stat blocks and plots and maps and things like that. Oh gosh. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I Liz uses name the pronouns. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, I sent them all of that information. Uh, and they were still like, yeah, okay, we'll hire you. And uh, that was my first assignment on Bestiary 3. So nice. yeah. That's awesome. That's, That's the second time this particular call has actually come up in a conversation with somebody on the show. <laughs> I don't remember if it actually made the final cut of another the other episode it came up in, but I just want to like shout out Liz for for putting out that call oh, yeah. and that's it's really amazing to me that like actually I think it's the third time because I think Ruvade may have mentioned that too. Mm. Yeah. Um so I just love that so many people came into the company to the Paizo umbrella through that particular call. And yeah, that's fantastic. I so cool. thought it was really great. Cause like looking back on it, like, especially now that I'm like, Oh, I've got to find new authors and I've got to poke around and I need people to write things for me. It's so interesting to look back on it because I realized that like, they must've just been like bombarded with an amount of people submitting stuff in. Yeah. And like, they probably knew the moment that they put that call out, like, Oh, I'm just going to have so many people messaging me. And yet they still did it and they were still like, no, I'm going to find all of these new diverse authors. I'm going to introduce them to the community and I'm going to give them this chance. And like, it is seriously just amazing. Like, had I not been on Twitter, had I not peeked at that, I I do not know where I'd still be at this point. Probably still in call centers, probably still doing customer service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but instead, organized play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so i imagine you love organized play it sounds like i've listened to you talk about it we were talking about before we started recording that i listened to you on uh, talk on three black halflings so yeah like organized play is its own very special unique thing sort of and so you know i guess let's go into it a little bit for the few people who listen to this pathfinder show but don't know what it is and then like you know what was the draw for you for organized play yeah um just a brief go around uh organized play specifically the pathfinder society is paizo's organized program which essentially we have a volunteer we have a volunteer run 
group that puts together uh, little games and stuff that happen over at friendly local game stores and conventions. They can even happen in private homes. We also have, I believe, two or three Discord servers at this point entirely dedicated to online play, play by post, the whole nine yards. We're everywhere across America. We're pretty thoroughly across most of North America. I believe we have several Canadian groups. I know we have several European groups, and I do believe we have some South American ones, which is amazing. And specifically or within organized play, you pick up scenarios, which, you know, that's primarily what I handle is our four-hour scenarios. And you sit down with a small group of rules of like, oh, you need to pick from these specific things, and you just go on adventures with random people all, of, all over the, your game store. And it's a lot of fun. In the second edition one, our adventures tend to run from levels one through, I believe, 12 is our highest level at this point. And it's it's a lot of fun. They're just little snippets of things. They're random. Uh, you could be anywhere from Numeria to Irisin to Tian Sha to Arcadia. In fact, I had two adventures in the year Boundless Wonder where both of them were set in Arcadia. First, you got to see the city of Sagata, and then you got to go in further and see the inner prairies of Arcadia, which is not very well been explored. And it's mm-hmm. just it's a whole lot of fun. As for what attracted me to Pathfinder Society, when I moved up to Washington, because I really didn't have a society around me in Texas specifically that I could attend, because the one that was closest to me, they met on Wednesday afternoons when I was working, and the one that met on Saturdays where I could go out and meet them was a 45-minute drive, both ways. (laughs) A little bit rough on that one, but you know. I did a lot of uh, online play. Um, in fact, my first exposure to Pathfinder organized play was at the very first PaizoCon I went to, which was our first online con. And I ran seven slots of games. Dang. And wow. I should not have. Do not walk into your first con and run seven slots. I was so tired. Yeah. I didn't have a proper office chair, so I was sitting on a folding chair at my desk and everything is awful. Don't do that. But that's what I did. And I always just sort of was like, oh, I love organized play. And then when I moved up to Washington, I found a, I briefly ran a group up here at a local game store before, you know, stuff happened. And I wound up having to switch my hours around and such. So I've, I've always really liked the camaraderie of organized play. I love how the venture officers to the venture lieutenants and the RBCs and everybody, I love how they... The moment you're like, oh, can I play Pathfinder? They're like, yes, you can play Pathfinder. Oh my <laughs> god, let me tell you everything. Here's yeah. Galerion, and here are the classes, and here are the people who make it. And It's like, y'all are so passionate. It's great. <laughs> so when they were interviewing for developers, the question that was posed to me by Eric Mona during my interview when I was talking about it was, you know, are you interested in organized play? Are you interested in hardcovers? And I'm like, I really like organized play. I'm really interested. And he was like, okay. We'll think about that. And then like later on, they were like, hey, we're going to move you over. You're going to be the developer now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> great. I'm, I, I don't know fully what I'm doing. They're like, don't worry. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you already know the basics. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So. I had a question from hearing some of that. I have like two questions. The first that came up was how does developing these unique scenarios 
interface with other teams at Paizo? Because I'm hearing like, you know, Arcadia being dropped. And when Luis was on the show recently, he was talking about like, potentially Navarre asked a question about like the development of Arcadia. And then we got into that. And so I'm curious, how do you cross-reference with rules and lore and editing and all those teams? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with editing, I was previously on the editing team, um, and I still am obviously extremely embedded in a lot of our editors and things like that. A lot of them are very dear friends to me, and the ones who aren't very dear friends to me are people who have just arrived and are very quickly becoming dear friends to me. Um, They're fantastic. Um, So with edit, um, I'll pop into their chats and I'll be like, hey, we're doing a thing in org play, and here's what we're doing, and what do y'all think is going on? And they're like, and that's at that point, they'll be like, Shay, why are you doing this to us what have you done and it's like okay so we're not doing that (laughs) um for rules and lore it's as easy as just dropping into a big old group chat and being like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna blow up numeria is that cool with everybody and they will sometimes go yeah absolutely you set it on fire burn it to the ground get hashtag Girl, girl boss gatekeep gaslight everything we need to <laughs> and sometimes they'll be like actually no please do not set Namiri on fire why, why do you want to set yeah, Namiri on fire it's like oh this? well I'm looking for this one thing and they're like okay can we set um, Mulfoon on fire instead so stuff like that there's a lot of interaction there's a lot of jokes that go along between all of us but generally we're, we're all very easygoing and willing to be like hey this was the plan I have what do y'all think for instance, when I started uh, pitching the year of unfettered exploration, and I was like, you know, we're going to go out to the oceans and we're going to be looking at stuff. I'm going to be doing a lot of like Tian Sha poking and a lot of planar poking. What do y'all think? And they were like, oh, well, here's all the information that you didn't have from when you worked on Rage of Elements. Yeah. Here's all the information for Tian Sha that we have coming up and things. Yeah. So here's what you can do. And I'm like, great. How dangerous is such and such nation? And they're like, oh. Not dangerous at all. You can send all sorts of baby pathfinders there. And I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> so that's awesome. Very yeah. cool. My other question was just what's your process for seeding creative ideas? And I know that can take so many forms, but I'm just thinking of like all the different scenarios you create and all the different places you go. Where do you draw inspiration from? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Let's see. <laughs> So a lot of the year of Unfettered Exploration, a lot of that came from, how much of this do I want to give away? <laughs> Some of it is a little bit of a spoiler. Okay. So a lot of the inspiration for Year of Unfettered Exploration came from a few things. First of all, and I've told this story a few times to some people, before I moved from Texas to Washington, my sister and I sat down and we watched Moana probably like 10 or 11 times. So the concept of ocean exploration and bringing in Taiwale and things like that, I was like, and doing a lot of like island stuff. I was like, that's, that's exactly where that comes from. I know all the lyrics to Shiny at this point. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as for, you know, planar stuff and things like that, you know, I worked on Rage of Elements. I did some of the air items and such and some of the spells that came out and, and everything like that. So I'm very excited to sort of work on that. I also did the Elementalist Wizard archetype. So I was very embroiled in like what's going on and how are things changing and what's the new stuff. And then for the other little plot line that has been teased and hasn't been released yet the little the little baby meta plot that people will see there's four parts that was inspired 
by when I first came over to Pathfinder Society. One of the pieces of advice that Linda gave me, Linda Zayas Palmer, who is my immediate boss, she's fantastic. But one of the advice she gave me was to just sort of poke around Pathfinder Wiki at previous seasons and see if anything caught my eye. And I found a very interesting thread from one of the older seasons that tied into the Year of Boundless Wonder. And then I went, okay, well, what's the end of this thread? And I went and I found the end of the thread and I went, this does not go anywhere. So this has just been sitting here and we haven't done anything with this character. So I'm just going to kind of boop that right in there. And that's as much information as I could give about that yeah. because I know people are going to be very excited. <laughs> but yeah, so for more general answers, uh, for inspiration, uh, things I read, um, historical events that I come across, uh, just looking outside and seeing other people interacting, listening to all sorts of creative podcasts and things like that will sometimes send my brain a going. The Arcadia, the Arcadia small plot from last season was inspired by the fact that I'm native and I knew a bunch of native authors and star guns are really cool. And I just, I really wanted to do something with Arcadia and then, you know, all sorts of other stuff. There were some plot lines that were left behind for me by Mike Kimmel, who was the previous developer before me. So I mostly kind of picked up on his plot lines. But generally at the beginning, not at the beginning of the years, but generally around the time where I'm starting to pitch a new year, we'll sit down and kind of lay out like how many scenarios we're going to have in the upcoming year. And at that point, I'll start taking small ideas and like throwing them into a Google a Google sheet and being like, do I want to develop this? Is this something that'd be fun? Like all I wrote, so scenario five, five, which is the Island of the Vibrant Dead, which was announced uh, a couple weeks ago, written by Joe Blumquist, um, who fun facts, I mentioned my familiar in War for the Crown. The character that I'm related to is that my character is married to is actually played by <laughs> Joe Blumquist. So oh. fun facts. In any case, uh, it's the Island of the Vibrant Dead. We're going to see Marc Antonol again, and we're going to talk. And there's a whole island of ghouls and stuff like that. All I wrote in that box when I was first formulating this was too ghoul for school. <laughs> and then I was like, I'll figure out what that means later. <laughs> and as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the fact that, you know, ghouls have this culture that we don't really get to, you know, explore because ghouls are always evil and we're like, we're going to go kill them and things like that. I was like, but what if we, what if we had some cool ghouls? What if they yeah. were like, chill? <laughs> and that's all I can say. Yeah. I can't give away everything. <laughs> but there you go. That's awesome. awesome. So yeah, everywhere uh, yeah. <laughs> is the answer. So one of the other things, a, a big thing that we wanted to talk about with you today was disability. And I think just, you know, and how your life with disability, interaction disability in mm -hmm. Paizo has, has happened and along that with Pathfinder. I think I have a lot of questions, but I want to like let you kind of talk about it the way that you want to talk about it first before I jump into other stuff. Yeah. So disability wasn't really a thing that I worried about in the beginning of my relationship with Pathfinder because mm -hmm. like I didn't really have any issues. Yeah. I had like some minor joint pain, but like I wasn't really thinking about it. And then when COVID-19 happened mm -hmm. at the very beginning, when people were talking about this strange thing, I caught a really bad flu, yeah. um, a really bad flu. Yeah. And I was just like, man, this laid me out for two and a half weeks. What is going on? And then within a year, my doctor went, 
you have high blood pressure, which like I am a heavy person. So a lot of people would be like, this would not be unusual, except I'd never had high blood pressure before then. And then we started looking to other things and she was like, your sodium counts really low and you get dizzy when you stand. And, and at some point I had a doctor sit me down and go, you have postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And I went, I don't know what that is. And they're like, that's <laughs> called POTS. And what it means is your autonomic nervous system does not work the way it should. And I'm like, okay, I've never had these issues before. And they're like, yes. And I have a great doctor who very much believes in long COVID. And I know that that's an issue. And she's like, yeah. this is something we've seen from COVID is a uptick in pots. So I had to very quickly be like, okay, this is a thing. And then we learned very quickly on that, like, the pots was also influencing my hypermobility that I'd always had that hadn't ever really been an issue. And then it very quickly became an issue. Yeah. So... When it came to doing things like going out to group games or going to conventions or, you know, being around a whole bunch of people, it very quickly became apparent to me that this was not an option I was going to have. Um, this going to large conventions like Gen Con or Origins or PAX Unplugged was going to very quickly be um, a danger to mm -hmm. me. And then as my hypermobility hit my back and I developed sciatica, I was like, my walking is going to be an impediment to me doing a lot of these things. And I'm like, okay, well, I just got into this community. So what do I do now? And what I found when I became very, very honest about my limitations and about who I was and what I was going through, because it wasn't just like physical disability that like I deal with every day. I'm also yeah. autistic. I also have ADHD. I also have, you know, complex PTSD and mental stuff. What I found was when I was very, very honest about where I was and what my limitations were was the 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 Paizo community. I can't even just say the Pathfinder community because Starfinders people are there too. Yeah. The Paizo community was so very welcoming and they were very much like, we also have these things. Yeah. These are also issues we have and we want you to feel comfortable and safe to be among us. You know, working with Mark Thompson, I believe, of the disability wheelchair. I worked with him during Treasure Vault and that was fantastic to talk about assistive devices and to actually just put them into you know pathfinder and to work with because that was before i was hired so but to work with the developers and you know eleanor and luis and everybody and have them be like yes we're gonna put these accessibility devices in here we're yeah. gonna watch all this happen we're you know we're gonna make this as as representative as we can is just wonderful and fantastic yeah that was esther and i had a moment reading talking about that section of the book i think it's absolutely important and i do want i mean thank you for sharing that yeah. story i think it's more poignant now as we are two days from gen con ending and people yeah. are already talking about their covid positive cases so yeah absolutely i mean the, i saw pictures of gen con and it was shoulder to shoulder and yeah. it, it's just not that's not a reality anymore for somebody who is disabled and really i mean this could turn the whole thing but yeah. I, especially for people <laughs> who are immunocompromised like it's not a reality and when your life yeah. is i design and develop these programs for people to play together mm -hmm. or pathfinder society i can imagine that that it, it has an impact yeah. so yeah so i mean i'm curious then you know you talked about like the Paizo team coming together and and accepting that and i i want to say that's wonderful i also am curious like for you as this is now your job, Pathfinder Society, like how has that, how do you feel 
society games can bring in people in an accessible way. I think one of the biggest ways that we we have and that we can continue to make things accessible for people is honestly offering so many online games off especially like you know my special just debuted 499 the blessings of the forest and not only was that held at gen con which you know there were physical people there of course uh, but we also held it online so that people could play along from their homes at their computers so that they didn't have to be around a whole bunch of people um in addition i was talking with some of the people who were at gen con running that and so many of our gms and our players were masked and taking breaks and making sure that you know they were stepping away to go drink water and not you know overworking themselves and making sure to keep things safe and there were masks offered at the desks and hand sanitizer and tests and things like that and and that I, that I think is the community we should be continuing to foster when I was still running games at a local game store up here you know we would bring masks with us just disposable ones that people could put on and wear my spouse and I would wear masks while we played um if we needed to go drink water we'd go step outside take a breath drink some water things like that and you know that is really the community we can continue to foster one of the questions i was actually asked during paisacon this year was you know how can we make the pathfinder society more accepting of autistic people (laughs) and i the person who asked that question has been, you know, they've they've had they've had kind of a hard time within the community, mm. and I understand that. But you know, I was very frank about my answer of the fact that I find that our community is very open and welcoming to people with you know different mental issues and things like that. Especially as again, like I stated earlier, I'm an autistic person. I have ADHD. Yeah. I've got dyscalculia. So if I look down at a number, I may not see, oh, I rolled 19 and I may go, okay, so I rolled a 91 plus my bonus and everybody's like, hang on a minute. Hang, <laughs> hang, hang, what do you mean you rolled a 91? I'm like, I flip the numbers around in my head and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. You know, I use a calculator whenever I, I'm at the table and things like that. And I have found that, you know, when I bring things out, like I'll bring out little timers and things to keep myself on my time blindness. I have never had, even prior to working at Paiso, I have never had another player and I've never had a GM and I've never had a member of our leadership ever go, oh my God, why are you using that? Or why are you doing this? Why are you taking so long? It's always been fairly like, oh, you need these accommodations. Fantastic. And, you know, I stand by the fact that I'm extremely proud of the Pathfinder Society volunteers and the Starfinder Society volunteers, them too, for the leaderships that they have and the fact that they are so welcoming and opening. Are there things that we can move to do better? Yes, absolutely. We have recently started including things like content warnings at the beginning of scenarios mm-hmm. in which yeah. we have discussions where, you know, this could be triggering to somebody who has this experience. Every now and again, we run through a discussion of, you know, how can we make this more accessible to people? I work very closely. Uh, one of my close friends is Simone de Soleil, and Simone is fantastic. She has provided so much, so many different editing resources and language resources for, you know, talking about people with disabilities and how we can move forward and how we can, you know, include disabled characters and things like that. And, you know, furthermore, I'm so interested in offering different options for people who have different disabilities to continue to play our games. Like one of the things that's kind of been bandied around is um, 
uh, I want to talk about options for people who have sight issues mm-hmm. to play our games and be welcomed into spaces. I want to know, like, what are the options that they have to play tabletops? I have, you know, obviously I'm wearing glasses right here, but what you can't really tell with my glasses because of the particular lenses I buy is I have really terrible sight. I can drive, but that may not be true for later years in my life um, just because you know my eyes are deteriorating so I want to make sure that one I can continue to play so that is a little selfish but I also want (laughs) people who have who are less sighted than I am to play you know I want to see like are our games accessible to deaf players is it you know do they need more accommodations for you know things for ASL and BSL and everything across the world you know what can we do to make this better so that's what I'm working on yeah i love that all of that is amazing and i feel like i could go in so many directions right now (laughs) like so many of the things you named i have pots too and it's just it's really cool to to know that disability is so accepted and like and not a big deal and people don't say terrible things like that just makes me happy as a baseline to to know and shout out to all of the players and the gms and the people organizing organized play who are being really awesome incredible Um, and like one of the things that's really fantastic that i have to shout out is um earlier before it got hot and it's not that hot here in washington but it's worth noting you know air conditioning is not a common thing up here and the summers are warmer than they have been thanks climate change (laughs) gotta love it and so one of the things was i you know wanted to have a conversation with my immediate manager linda obviously and i was like hey as the summer goes on i might get a little bit woozy i might need to take some time away from my desk in order to go lay down and things like that you know do you want me to do this do you want me to take time later do you want me to give you a heads up you know how do you want me to handle it and she was mostly just like oh just, you know, do what you need to do. If you need to walk away from your desk and lay down because you've got a migraine, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's normal. You know, if you if you need to take your meetings in another place where you can be cool and you can, you know, be comfortable, that's fine. No, you know, don't, don't be uncomfortable. Make sure that you're doing what you need to do for your body. We had discussions about plane tickets for Paizo-sponsored events. And again, I'm a large person you know, that's just what I am. I went, hey, you know, how do we want to handle this? Because like some flights might be like, hey, you need to take two seats. And they were like, don't worry about it. We've already got a process. We've got a we've already got a process and procedure for this. And that was so like coming from call centers where, you know, I, I have a speech impediment and this is not an unknown thing. And I'm very forthcoming about this. Coming from call centers where I would be called into coaching sessions with managers mm. because they'd be like, hey, you stuttered over this word in your call, so we're deducting points for that. And I'd be like, I, I literally can't handle it. I, I, I can't stop that to a workplace where they're like, oh, you're overheating. Go drink water and lay down. Don't be at your desk for that. And just being like, oh, oh, is this supposed to be how things work? <laughs> okay, cool. Oh. So, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I recently read something about basically it was like a list of like things that would help autistic people in their jobs because I'm also autistic. And so as I was reading this, I was like, oh, yeah, because I have a job now that is very flexible. I have basically I get deadlines for things and I have, you know, my time to get them done by then. And that versus a you have to be here from my previous job was like you have to be here from 5 a.m., 
to possibly 6 p.m. and on call 24-7 and all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, it makes sense why I have uh, a lot of stress and why things are easier for me to manage because it's done in a way, even if it wasn't my boss's intention, it's done in a way that's more accessible. And so it's it's great to hear that. Because I've had similar things too, where it's like, I don't have a stutter, but I do, oh, I don't react in a very emotional way to things to the mm-hmm. point where my boss got so upset about it, assuming that I wasn't passionate about what I was doing, that he tried to make me upset. He like actively tried to instigate yeah. a fight with me. I was oh like, my, what are you doing? Absolutely. Not. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And at the time I didn't know that I was autistic. I just I just was yeah. like, I'm I'm not that person. Like I'm not going to get into this with you over a thing that's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, it it was not the only event, but that was one of those yeah. things where it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> but ugh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that I'm 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 glad to hear that there are people who are aware of it and people mm-hmm. who are willing to, even if it's like, I don't understand this, it's still like I trust you. I know you're going to get what you need to get done. And so, yeah, just do it. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that's really great for me is, you know, I was working in call centers at the highlight of fidget spinners becoming like a popular yeah. thing, which so like all of my coworkers had fidget spinners and they were doing stuff with it. And like, I was sort of like, eh, I don't really see the, the point in these because I'm not, I'm not a fidget spinner kind of ADHD yeah. autistic. I'm a, I'm a, it's too far away for me to grab, but I have a 3D printed slug that's got like <laughs> different joints and things like that. Nice. And that's yeah, yeah. what I used to fidget with. There's a girl on TikTok who makes them. They're fantastic. And they come in all sorts of different colors. I love them. But that's that's my kind of fidget. And so I was like, oh, I'll just go, you know, and I'll get one of those. And, you know, my spouse, Kanji, ordered one for me. And it was so sweet. It's in the color of the Agender flag. And I love it. It's fantastic. Actually, hang on. I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, you should. Uh, go for it. <laughs> Here's my little baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. I love cute. it. And I, you know, Kanji ordered it for me because they're fantastic. <laughs> And I took it to work with me one day at the call center, and it does make a small noise, uh, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where I could mute myself on my phone and just sort of like fiddle with it and things like that. And my manager wound up taking me aside later that day and being like, listen, you can't have toys at your desk. And I'm like, oh, it's a it's a fidget toy. I have ADHD. And she was like, you no, no, I don't care if you have Down syndrome. You can't have toys at your desk. And that is an exact quote wow. from that oh, woman. no. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. And like one of my That's first so meetings bad. at Paizo as a full-time employee, I'm sitting here like fidgeting with the slug and everything. And one of the other people in the meeting is like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I have a fidget toy. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like, can we see it? And it's like, oh, this is how you're supposed to treat people. Great. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had the same reaction whenever I was like, my name is Shay. I use they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And everybody at my job has just been like, great, your name is Shay and you use they, them pronouns. There's no issue. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> there are people who respect this in professional spaces. Great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that really matters just both for like, you know, human dignity purposes mm. and also I think the tone set by leadership and set in creating games and and worlds really does manifest in who is drawn to those products and the kind of behavior that's expected from like community spaces. And yeah. mm-hmm. so I think it it really matters that the team respects each other identity wise and just how how we show up in the world. 
And it's just really good to hear that as somebody who loves the product and loves playing. Oh, yeah. Because I feel even better about supporting it. And I'm like, yes, people are having a good experience at their jobs. That's great. That's what I want for people who make stuff. Oh, and like what I love is like not only, you know, am I like respected and I can walk in and be like, you know, here are the things that I'm going through and here are accommodations that I need or like here's, you know, the stuff that's happening in my life and, you know, here's how I identify. Um, I'm also encouraged to put in like NPCs and stuff that have like different things. Yeah. Like, um, for instance, in the special, there's a new NPC that he intro- that I introduced, Mr. Captain Fiore Chiabanu. Um, he wears ring splints. Um, he has hypermobility in his hands, I decided, and he wears ring splints. And that kind of, you know, details his thing. Last year, we introduced a Cyrinx character named Weary. Weary only has one eye. And, you know, it's just, they, it's what they are. They have one eye. It's fine. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. It, you know, when I came up with Kaida, the Starfinder evolutionist iconic, I was like, I'm going to. I'm going to write this character as a little bit ADHD and then like partway through writing your meet the iconic, the meet the iconic blog post where I like took all these notes and all of my discussions with the Starfinder team and was putting it together. Like partway through writing it, I like started crying and I'm like, why am I so upset right now? And then I realized I wasn't upset. It was like, I'd never actually written like a character that had ADHD and how their brains like didn't keep track of the things that they were supposed to, but then they would keep track when they were passionate about a specific thing and it was like oh 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 kaida doesn't just have mild adhd kaida is like fully like i have all the adhd okay great so it was a lot of fun i got to write about uh it was fun developing them to write about you know their hyper fixation on storms and travel and speed and things like that and how they you know how uh scientists were able to explain stuff to them in a way that they could understand instead of just throwing you know a whole bunch of words at them and hoping that they got it it was just like oh okay and then like other people would comment and be like wow like that's that's adhd that's how i feel and i'm like oh other people feel this way too awesome it, it, it's just it's been such a good wholesome experience i i talked about it during the uh pride blog this year about how kaida was adhd and any gender and how i i was really touched that like nobody in the community was like this is weird why did you include this mm-hmm. everybody was like that's amazing i love this yeah so, very pleased yeah that's awesome i'm so i mean when you it sounded obviously like this was something that you had a lot of intention with, which I think is very important when you're doing something like this. But yeah, I'm curious, like, how can I put this? When we talk about, like, gamifying things that are can are very broad, right, in the spectrum of, of how they can be presented, like, did you, ha- did you worry about that at all? Or did you, I don't know, was there, like, a lot of hemming and hawing? Obviously, like, you're making a very specific character, yeah you know based on experiences that you have but like yeah i'm curious like for how that process was for you yeah uh, there was a moment where like i'd finished writing it and i stopped and i looked at it and i went is this is this too much for other people is Mm. this did i write like is this too on the nose for the experience you know does this have too too much stuff going on with it um you know am i taking an experience that is very personal to me and assuming that it's universal um and and there was a moment where i was like i don't think so 
I think this is okay. But, you know, when I, when I submitted it in and I spoke with um, Mark Moreland, who was my, you know, conversation for the blogs and everything, I was like, I don't know if this is too much. If you think this is too much when you read this, please let me know and I'll, you know, work on something else and I'll adapt it and make it. And Mark Moreland was very, Mark was like very, uh, supportive he, he was like no i don't think this is too much at all i think this looks great and i was like fantastic wonderful um and i think one of the things to really avoid gamifying it was because it was a fiction piece yeah and it wasn't like oh well in kaida's stats you know they mm-hmm. they have less charisma because they're impulsive and things like that yeah um so uh because it's it's a very fine line when it comes to disability in games where it's like are you gamifying it or are you including representation and that's why i think it was very important um you know in things like treasure vault and uh um grand bazaar i almost say grand archive <laughs> uh treasure vault <laughs> grand bazaar and things like that where we include assistive devices that we also included disabled people to be like here's where we're good and here's where we're not so good because it's yeah. like um we're not because a lot of people have been like are you gamifying disabilities and i think that the the line between it is is we're not gamifying it because we're not applying rules to people's disabilities like you have a wheelchair your rules apply to your wheelchair but you yourself are not taking like a penalty to your athletics checks or your strength check because you're in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. your wheelchair does these things and you yourself are still a character you know you are i you know i've had uh, several characters who come in that are they play deaf characters and it's like okay well you know you obviously speak sign language and you know here's my assumptions for you that you you know know how to read lips and you know how to communicate with people and such like that um and it's not like oh well you take you know negatives yeah. to this stat because you can't hear and it's like yeah it's things like that so I mean, I think like in the writing, there's all of it has positive connotations and or neutral connotations just to say like, this is the thing that it is, mm-hmm. um, which I do think is very important because a lot of times, anytime we've seen, and it happened recently, somebody write a book where they clearly didn't get any help or refuse the help that they got. And they put in stuff um, about disabilities and it's like all the the worst ways you could talk about it very ableist language and so it's it's a very clear distinction you can see in the writing Mm -hmm. and obviously by the people's reaction to it but yeah it's there is a right way to do it and i think in the fiction you're right like i think there is i mean even performances i do i i've noticed i think i've become very much more conscious of over the past like a year and a half uh but i've noticed as looking back like oh all of my characters are artistic and how that how that plays out for me is is pretty centered around my own experiences, which is like some of it is very stereotypical and some of it is not. Some of it is yeah. just and so yeah, I I enjoy seeing like how how it comes out when it comes out in a in a positive way. Yeah, no. Um, when it comes to having uh, extremely autistic characters, I completely understand that. Um, the only game that I play almost as much as I play Pathfinder is Monster Hearts, which mm. is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Yeah. Um, I have a game for Monster Hearts that's been running for almost three years now. We just have new seasons and stuff like that. We swap things around. And it was pointed out when I was like, yeah, I think I think this new character I'm making, she might be kind of autistic. I think that's the vibe I'm getting. And everybody's like, well, yeah. I mean, Shay, <laughs> all of your characters are autistic. And I'm like, what? <laughs> all of them 
and my spouse is in this game too, as well as um, my friend Marlo, who is also autistic. And yeah. both of them are like, yeah, yeah, all of your Monster Hearts characters are. We autistic. thought you knew. Oh, they're like, we thought it was intentional. Like, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I could feel that. I feel that. Yeah. I, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, and then I'll kick it over to Esther. Uh, sorry for taking up all this mic time. But in terms of just gamifying stuff, so I, I made a game, and I promise that this is not just a shameless plug, but I made a game, and I wanted to make the, the ability scores have negatives whenever you weren't, like, it, that would just be the average. Because I hated the idea of, like, being average at something meant that you just didn't, you weren't, like, I'm... I'm just a normal person, right? Like I can't just like go fix a car if I've never looked at a car before. So why would I have yeah. no negative to that? So I was like, okay, everything's going to start at negative two. And when I was doing playtesting, one of my friends was like, oh, so am I going to be like, basically like, is this a negative thing because it's a negative number? And so I was like, no. So then I wrote in there before we published it, like this does not denote <laughs> that you have <laughs> any kind of... um you know, negative effects to your person, or you're not like, you're not like, quote, unquote, weak, you're not any of these things. Um, this is just, yeah. you know, walking out the door. Uh, you know, I've never tried to like read a book or whatever. So um, <laughs> but I do think it's like, it's one of those things like it's important, because the way that we gamify stuff tells a story to the person playing it. And that story creates a perception. And that perception becomes reality when we put our art out in the world. And I think it's so important to do our best to try to figure out like, how do we do this in a way that's not um, going to harm people? You know, and sometimes we miss the mark for sure. But I think it's like, th there's missing the mark and being like, ah, I didn't do anything wrong. And there's missing the mark and being like, <laughs> ah, I'm so sorry. We will fix this. We will, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So go ahead, Esther. I'm, <laughs> I'm just like sitting here. Um, Mind blown by what you just said. I agree. I, I had something and then Navarre started talking and I was like, yes, yes, that's also true. And I completely lost what I was going to say. I do that all the time. I'm like, okay, so I've just dumped all of my words out of my brain. Mm -hmm. Give me a moment. They'll come mm -hmm. back in a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I guess one thing I was thinking about is, you know, the way we represent disability in games and, and the idea of it being a penalty is, mm -hmm. is one that I think I'm glad to see a lot of the TTRPG space in general moving away from yeah. because I'm the first to say living with disabilities is difficult just in terms of our society and sometimes just in terms of like my body's in pain and that's hard. But I don't necessarily think of it as a penalty to my life. And mm -hmm. when we kind of explore that in play, I think Navar's point about like, you know, representation and the stories we tell ourselves impacting our reality is really felt there. And mm -hmm. so I've, I've loved the direction that the assistive devices have taken and just the descriptions that are written for them. And, and the way disabled NPCs, canon NPCs are described is very nourishing and generative for me as a disabled person. And just as somebody who works on that, thank you. You're doing an yeah, awesome job. Absolutely. Thank you. I love, I, grew up reading a whole lot of fantasy. My dad is an English teacher. I had, you know, shelves upon shelves upon shelves of books growing up. And I actually just had this discussion the other night where I inherited a lot of my aunt's books when they grew up and grew out of my grandparents' house. So I read, you know, the Boxcar Children and the Babysitter's Club and Nancy Drew <laughs> and things like that. 
it never really occurred to me when I was younger that like there was there was a hole in the people that I was reading about like all of these people that I were reading that I was reading about they were generally you know able-bodied and neurotypical and white and <laughs> you know cisgender and things like that and like as a native person at a certain point my brain went hang on why haven't I seen any native people in my books yeah you know what's going on here and then you know I'd go and I'd try and find native book books with native people in the fantasy books and they they weren't great um yeah yeah yeah. Not fantastic. I think one of the books I picked up when I was younger, it was something like, it's like The Crow in the Lake or something like It's one of those those mm. fantasy titles. And it's supposed to take place in like a fantastical version of the American West, sort of a la Stephen King's The Dark Tower. And um, uh, there was a Native character and her name was Squaw Woman. Mm. And I was oh. like, oh, okay. Thanks, fantasy. Yeah. Great. Oof. And like, so like I could identify that there were some holes, but like right. I couldn't, I didn't see a whole lot of them. And then as I got older, you know, I'd, I'd revisit books from my childhood. Like I recently revisited um, reading uh, some of the early Nancy Drew novels because, um, you know, I like mysteries and I kind of wanted to get some ideas on how to write a good mystery. And I'm like, why are so many of these villains disabled? Mm -hmm. And like that was something I also came across when I was watching like Scooby Doo reruns recently, and I'm like, yeah. So the evil person is evil because they're disabled and they want you off their property. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Scooby Doo. Yeah. All right, Nancy, you're breaking into a disabled man's home in order to break into his clock. Okay, and. <laughs> fantastic wonderful and it's yeah. like oh this is a trope isn't it yes and i looked it up and i'm like oh this this is a bad trope this is a continuing trope but i just didn't pick up on it great yeah and it's just like okay well how do i avoid that in what i do because i work with a lot of people and a lot of the people that i work with are also disabled in some way we just went through a mass disabling event mm -hmm. that is what covid was um Sorry if that's like a hot take on your podcast. But oh, it's, uh, it's a hot yeah. take I share. And, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. ongoing in so many ways. Yeah. Like, yeah. COVID's not still over. With us. Still a thing. Yeah. Still something you got to work with. It is a mass disabling event. A lot of people are going to be finding out partway through the next few years that they also have various different issues going on. Somebody I follow on tumblr i believe their username is mamoru they also have pots and they have several other issues but they did a poll that was like hey by the way since covid started how dizzy are you is everybody finding themselves getting <laughs> and like the, the numbers were overwhelming like yeah i'm dizzy a lot so i'm not disabled or anything and it's like uh-huh yeah. you might get your autonomic nervous system checked and it's like so it was very important to me like how do i how do i um you know make sure that like i don't have these holes in the things that i create mm -hmm. and like how do i make sure that you know the things that i make include everybody that i see and it's like okay well i have you know authors who can write all these things but like also i'm going to make sure that i make the effort to include npcs that are not abled and neurotypical and cis and white and da da da, da and da, da 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 i'm gonna make sure to, to include in a vibrant spectrum of people and i'm i'm very glad to be able to do that yeah yeah, yeah. I, to kind of talk about the um including disability in a positive way in fantasy worlds and just in general 
Um, one of my dear, dear friends, CJ McCullough, um, they have a massive brain and they're so smart. And <laughs> they, they, there are two different things that they've talked about that have absolutely blown my mind. One of them being radical imagination, which is like, mm-hmm. for instance, we, we, we can, you know, able-bodied people can imagine themselves as this barbarian with 18 strength and everything is possible um and you can shoot magic out of your hands if you're you know all this stuff but like the idea of like a world without crime right or a a world where where a disabled person can also be a hero like those things seem to be like impossible for a lot of people to get through as a it's a barrier in the brain and so i think like everybody just read about radical imagination explore it hire cj the other the other (laughs) thing the other thing that they said one time was like basically it was a tiktok and it was like you know if you're making a fantasy world why wouldn't all of your characters why wouldn't everybody in the world be trans because the gender as we know as the binary that we know this Mm. like that's a made-up thing we made in this world it's kind of a wild concept but it it makes sense like it it is like we we created this rule of man and woman right and we you know the derogatory and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we made this made this rule and so yeah but there's plenty of other people in the world even now who don't even believe in that system even outside of western culture so it's like i i do think it's 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 something that when you take the time to like really sit down and look at what you're working with and, and the world that you're creating when you're pushing up against an idea of why you don't want to create this thing i think that really should make you stop and have a conversation with yourself about like what are these internal biases that are preventing me from doing this like why why on earth can't you have a ramp leading up to a a building why you know why can't you have (laughs) braille or an interpreter for an an important meeting with your heroes like what these are things that would be absolutely reasonable to have and amazing so i i made a post a while back on twitter a while back on twitter where i was like even if you like think combat wheelchairs are silly or things like that like when you ask me the question of like but why would there be a ramp in the evil villain's dungeon like it just because a ramp is a simple machine yeah you can use a ramp to transport things up and down it like yeah. like, like they have wheels on carts you you, you can't yeah. use a wheeled cart on a set of stairs and people were like you're just woke okay yeah. like why would they be putting in ramps for wheels and it's like because it's a lot easier if you're evil goblins <laughs> you have goblins for generic if yeah. you're evil goblins that you have that need to roll your giant evil gold into your big evil underground palace why would you put in evil stairs when you could just put in an evil ramp? <laughs> Everything's evil now. When you just put in an evil ramp, yeah. and then your evil goblins can roll an evil cart with your evil gold down the evil ramp and continue. Like it just makes sense. And they're yeah. like, "But this is just you continuing to try and wokeify it." And it's like, it's a simple machine. Just one, <laughs> like, okay, just be creative, right? Like, right. here's the yeah. thing. So, your villain can be evil without being ableist, transphobic, homophobic, yeah. racist. None of those things have to happen for your evil character to be evil. They can Trust still be us. bad things. Like, like, yes, they, can they can still be a, be a bad hater. person. Right, yeah. without having, and that's the whole idea behind that. Just like, think outside the box. 
Like yeah. those are so yeah, like yes, those those are easy tropes because those are the evils that people are still living with today in the world. Uh, it would be nice for us in our escapism game to be able to escape the way we want to and not have to also deal with those things. And I would rather just be like dealing with somebody who wants to capitalism. I'm fine. Yeah. Please let me go destroy a bunch of capitalists. That'd be great. Um, but also <laughs> right, let them have see. ramps uh, and and <laughs> you say them pronouns and all of this. Like I think that the idea that we that we have to have these things that are that when you know that it's an evil thing and you you feel so heavily that you have to include it. I think you're again have a conversation with yourself or yeah. a therapist prof- probably and and figure out what's going on there because there's. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I just ran, uh, I, earlier this year, I finished up a homebrew game that I had been running for people in the Pathfinder system. It was slightly in the future of Pathfinder, so there were, like, trains and things like that. I love trains. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was, you know, the, the big villain on Lace, um, everybody was like, well, well, you know, what is she evil for? What has she done? And I'm like, oh, she wants to kill the gods. Okay, so, but is she also like a terrible person? Like, yeah, she wants to kill the gods. Yeah. She murdered an entire family um, to get their blood because they were her uh, descendants, essentially, and she wanted to use their blood to make herself look younger. So she was no longer this ancient, decrepit old crone um, because that's what she had aged into. It was it's it's a whole magic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to prevent myself from going into the full plot. Uh, but essentially what she wanted to do was uh, when she woke up from where she had been stored by Aridin, um, she realized Aridin was dead, so she couldn't get revenge on Aridin anymore. And she was like, okay, well, um, I'll just kill everybody else instead. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the gods basically reached out to the players and were like, hey, we would like you to take care of her because if we take care of her, you know, that puts us in kind of a weird situation and vulnerability and we don't want to, you know, poke at the world that much. And the characters were like, okay, so she's not like oppressive. She's just evil. And I'm like, yeah, she's not oppressive. She's just evil. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So this, yeah. okay, great. Yeah. This is a great story. We don't have to worry about her doing things that'll be terrible and we're like right and i'm like well i mean like it, i remember having that conversation because you know it, it, it's not just a white table you know i had mm-hmm. um you know my native cousin in there uh we had a black player and everything and and you know several of us were trans one of us was daishi and you know stuff like that and we were putting it all together and, and, and like no you don't have to worry about her being racist or transphobic or homophobic or anything she's just evil she yeah. just wants to kill the gods yeah and that's all she needs to do that's all yeah. we need to do to have her be evil and they're like great sounds good yeah. uh she did successfully kill norgaber um so norgaber is dead in that game um <laughs> there is no god of secrecy at this point so yeah. who knows what's gonna happen <laughs> there or gicks or something yeah <laughs> yeah she's a fascist but she will use your proper pronouns. name <laughs> yeah and your pronouns but she does stand universal accessible design <laughs> yeah and yeah, yeah. She, all of she her employees kill, have health care fully paid she did kill hundreds of people but she does also include braille on all of her signs yes in her yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> and we'll ask you if you need an interpreter when you arrive yeah uh, she's got a big speech she wants to make sure that you get yeah. all the nuances of it yeah an accessibility queen uh, <laughs> incredible yeah. Uh, yeah i don't know i'm this has been fun i don't, I don't it's been so much fun my brain empty um yeah fair but yeah no i i basically i think this i'm glad we have this conversation i'm glad we took the time to have this conversation because i think it's um i mean it's one thing it's something that has 
has been a reoccurring theme in parts of Esther and I's discussions on the show. But I enjoy that we got to sit down and really take the time to talk about it with you and, and kind of get like the inside perspective of what it's like to be an, a Paizo employee and to like be somebody who helps develop this work for people to play with, especially in, in you know, one of the most social social ways that Paizo interacts with, with yeah. fans. So. <laughs> You know, thank you, and 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 thank you for sharing the stories. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much amazing. for having me on. It's one of the things that I've noticed is, especially when people kind of talk to me. You know, I've been on, I've done a few interviews with a few people about stuff like this, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, you've got disability stuff." And like a lot of people don't realize because because we usually when I get on things, a lot of people want to talk about how I'm a native person doing things, mm. and what they don't realize is as much as my nativeness influences like what I'm doing and where I am and what's going on, my disability also does that. So. Yeah. Like these, these are things that are inherently tied, like my gender and my queerness and things like this. This all sort of loops together in this amalgamation of a Shay. Yeah, <laughs> so. identity yes. soup. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Shay. Before we close out, mm -hmm. there is a question I wanted to ask you. Yeah. And if you can't answer this, uh, it's okay. We can take <laughs> it out. But there was a big announcement at Gen Con about. Oh. A new event coming up in, in Pathfinder and a deity, one of the core deities, not making it. So I don't know if you know who it is. Um, if you know who it is, I was going to ask you, who is your who is your top guess for who is up against this ticking clock? I'm sure I was informed at some point of who it is. Um, I'm very sure that somebody probably went in one of the chats was like, so-and-so is dying. However, the benefit whenever people are like, oh, you're under NDA, I'm like, well, the benefit of that is I have ADHD. <laughs> so I forget everything. So I have no ADHD idea. ADHD um, is what I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who do I think is going to die? Um, well, let's see. In my home game, I killed Norgaber. Uh, and people seemed pretty upset when I mentioned that that Norgaber was dead. So I don't think it's him. I think Grotus might not make it. Ooh. I think we're going to pop that guy like a blueberry. Yeah. And I think that'd be really interesting. That I would. also think that maybe Phrasma might not make it. And one of her kids might take over. Because I feel like I've read in some first edition content that like, she's raising one of her daughters to take over. Yes. So mm -hmm. those are my those are mine. I think it, it's either going to be Grotus or Phrasma. Somebody in the Boneyard. I love that. My yeah. mind hadn't gone there at all. And yeah. yes, this is a great theory. Which like, I will be sad if it's Phrasma because we love a goth queen, but like mm -hmm. also, <laughs> yeah. you know, it could be her. Amazing. Thank you for that guess. I have yeah. no idea when this episode exactly will be airing um, <laughs> sometime in the next few months, but mm -hmm. who knows when it will be when it will be out. But I love this guess. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe everybody will know. But <laughs> maybe everybody will know. Correct. Everybody at my job. I did not mean to be correct. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, NDA. ADHD. Uh, so. Yes. No, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. 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 Thank so, you yeah. again. Um, this uh -huh. has been a lot of fun. We'll have to, we'll have to get you back on to, yeah. you know, jump into some, because we have some big books coming out. So we got to see do. some of these Pathfinder Society. Oh my gosh. Let's yeah. see. Uh, Rage of Elements just dropped. Yep. We have Tian Sha coming up. Tian Sha's coming up. Howl of the Wilds coming at some point. <laughs> yes. My I'm centaur sure queen that I'm going to play. No, yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm thinking about upcoming books. And we'll just uh, say, oh. and the core book remaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the remasters coming out, too. Oh, my gosh. 
So yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where these adventures lead us. But I think it would be a lot of fun. I especially am excited because there's going to be so much going on with the Tiantra stuff. Like I really Mm want to see uh, where all that leads. So oh, I'm so excited. I've seen some sneak previews because I I I got some chunks in order to prep for the upcoming year, and it's it's so good, y'all. It's great. I'm I know or am acquainted to or am aware of a ton of the writers on it and i when i saw that list i was like yes this is everything is a yes i'm very excited yeah yeah Yeah, so yeah Yeah. it'll be good so shay where can people find you and your work on the internet yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Spells and Sugar. Uh, you can also find me on Blue Sky at Spells and Sugar. You can find me in several Paizo places. Um, I always list myself as Shay, Pathfinder Society Dev. Uh, so if you see me in a Paizo public Discord, you can go ahead and say hi. If you want to find my work, it's generally all over Paizo.com. Pathfinder Wiki, Starfinder Wiki will tell you everything I've done. I've also uh, done work with Backward Southern Gothic. They just released Details from the Arch. I did the section on uh, Cahokia and uh, the North. It's out of my head. The Natives. I did I did a whole bunch of the Native stuff. Mm. And they were fantastic. You should definitely check it out. It's a fantastic game. Plays so wonderfully. It's very gothic, um, post-apocalypse Americana. And you can find some of my work with Coyote and Crow, specifically the Roll20 exclusive Shadows Over the Moon. So, yeah. Awesome. Congrats to Coyote and Crow on winning that any, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank cool. you so thank much. You. This has been so much fun. And thank yeah. you to our listeners for tuning in. We deeply appreciate you. And Navar, where can we find you online? Um, in most places as Navar S&P, that's N-A-V. A-A-R-S-N-P. Check it out. See the other stuff I'm working on. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, I'm everywhere at Dungeon Minister. If you want to follow No Direction, we are at No Direction on Twitter and YouTube and Mastodon. You can also come join our Discord server where we talk about episodes of this show and other network shows and Pathfinder and TTRPGs in general. It's a really good time. You are so welcome to join. We'd love to have you there. I also want to give a big thank you to our patrons who make this episode and all of our network shows possible. If you'd like to support No Direction, you can find us under the name No Direction at patreon.com. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm.